if you ask me the best way to learn to tight line to throw these tight line rigs whether streamers or nymphs i i always tell people learn to cast dries because it's that 10 o'clock two o'clock the hard st- the, the the good acceleration between 10 and 2 and the nice crisp hard stops at 10 and 2 that for me makes my casting style anyway make, makes it work and so that's again why i like a 20 pound butt section as opposed to a 10 pound butt section that was dominic swintoski breaking down his mono rig for streamers we get a new take on an old topic today on the wet fly swing fly fishing show Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. I have launched a brand new podcast called Outdoors Online, the marketing podcast that helps you grow your brand online. I'm interviewing some of the biggest internet marketers on the planet to share what's working now in social media and online marketing. Head over to OutdoorsOnline.co and listen to the current show that uh, just came out, I think, uh, this week. Dominic Swintoski is on to break down the story of how he grew the Trout Bitten blog into one of the great resources online. We find out why he doesn't fish huge streamers how he crosses over the monorig to streamers, and why George Daniel has had a uh, big influence on him. A quick word from our sponsor, GotFishing.com is your trusted source of information with access to the world's best fishing trips. You'll never pay a dime extra for the trip you book, and in many cases, less than advertised. Find out where GotFishing could take you by heading over to GotFishing.com today. That's G-O-T-Fishing.com, or reach them by phone at 208 608- 630-3373 gotfishing.com the easiest place to start your next fishing adventure uh, so without further ado here's Dominic Swintoski from troutbitten.com how's it going Dominic? Uh, great day thanks for having me man I appreciate the invite yeah yeah we were just uh, off air chatting a little about the Dominic versus Dominique so uh, we, we, I got I got it right right you're pr- right yeah right. <laughs> Uh, I don't care how you pronounce the last name, but yeah, that first name is it's exactly it's, uh, it's Dominic. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let, let's jump into it. I want to um, dig into. I just had Rich Strollis on uh, recently, yeah. and we've had a lot of streamers. It seems like whenever the streamer game we're talking about streamers, it's always big. It's always like six inch, gigantic, enormous. Right, and, and your take on it is a little bit different. So I want to jump into streamers um, here, but before we get there, just can you just talk about how you first got into fly fishing and all all the fly tying? Uh, well, you know, uh, so I grew up trout fishing, uh, Western PA, mostly for stock trout. Uh, my uncle taught me a lot about reading water. Fished with my dad and my uncle a lot, and I, you know, I always just wished the trout season was longer. Um, like I say, it was mostly for stocked fish. So, and I'm thankful that the, that opportunity was there, but. Um, once I, I'd say that once I really got my driver's license, you know, around 16 years old, that's where my parents gave me some freedom right away. And, um, you know, gave me the keys to the car and I, I started driving over to central PA, which is where I live now. And that's, that's about the time, you know, 16, 17 is where I really started picking up a fly rod. Um, and then eventually late teens kind of broke away from the bait fishing because what we did when I was growing up was, Mostly strong minnows, sometimes red worms. Um, and, and to be honest, I mean, I'd probably still bait fish if I thought I'd catch uh, more trout on bait. <laughs> but what really attracted me to the, to the fly rod was that you could do, do anything, meet the trout on their terms. So, yeah, late teens. And then I came, you know, then I went to Penn State in 1993 out of high school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, Central PA wild trout limestone streams and so i've been here uh i've actually I actually finished school at iup so i moved back home finished school and then i came right back here met my wife and we just it was an easy decision where we wanted to live so you know we we're close enough to both of our families and we've made a life here and we're never leaving <laughs> i mean people will tell me hey you're lucky to live there you're so lucky and but really it's a i've made life choices around um, good trout fishing, you know, that's cool. That's cool. Is that what makes it, you know, Pennsylvania, obviously I've had Joe Humphreys on and a bunch of, uh, you nice. know, really amazing people and Pennsylvania keeps coming back. You know, when I, when I think of hot spots in the, in the U S it's, 
Pennsylvania, it's uh, Colorado, you know, and I don't know what else you add to it, but those things are seem like they're there. Why is it, uh, from your perspective, why is PA so special? You know, this is uh, this is uh, Jay Nichols' theory. I was talking yeah. to him, and Jay Nichols said that he thinks it has a lot to do with the the hunting culture here hmm. as well. Uh, you know, a lot of like I know Joe Humphreys hunts, and uh, I don't know a lot of my a lot of my good fishing friends that are good anglers also hunt. And I think if you take those hunting principles over, um, they, you know, they convert nicely into trout fishing. And then it's not just the hunting principles, but just being outdoorsman. But, you yeah. know, Jay said that. I thought that was a really good theory. I mean, I've always just figured, you know, the waters are just so prime here. Hmm. And here's the, here's the real thing. It's a, you can fish here year round. Uh, my buddy, Matt Grobe now lives out in Montana and he used to, he and I used to, to fish around here a lot a lot together and you know when he was moving out there for for a job right out in bozeman right in the other you know mm-hmm. mecca of trout fishing um i said you know what you're really going to miss is the year-round fishing yeah. and he gets it done he still actually fishes all winter long fishes some tailwaters fishes some spring cricks um and he'll go yeah. out there when it's you know single digits um but you know it's a struggle it's more of a struggle than it is here i mean Right here, you can fish 12, season, or 12, 12 months out of the year. There's mm-hmm. really, you know, and so I, that's, that's the biggest thing I would say why there's, I don't know, so much talent, let's say, that's yeah. come out of this area. Ed Shank recently died, and, um, you know, he was from here as well. I still use the, the Shank's white minnow. I like simple patterns a lot of mm-hmm. times. Nice. Nice. Well, we're going to dig in fully to uh, the patterns and flight tying. We are kind of in a, a flight tying season. I try to break things up seasonally to, to help focus some of the content. And um, yeah. so we're going to get into that. I did want to talk because trout bitten is, you know, is a big thing. It's a big name out there. Can you talk about how, bring us from where you, you were at as a teen and then how did you start trout bitten and then and talk about what that site's about? Yeah. Uh, first, I think it's kind of neat that you said it. It's kind of a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is, you know, it's uh, it's grown very organically. Uh, much of it has been a surprise to me. It's uh, nothing I planned on, but yeah, it's it's uh, you know, it it's it's grown, and I I a lot of people are reading it, and you can see that by the numbers. I mean, the traffic just it's a lot. It gets a one and a half million views page views a year. There's wow. like almost uh, 50,000 unique viewers per month. Huh. And those are, you know, those are stats that like the, the ad guys care about and stuff yeah. like that. But I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. Um, and it's a very targeted, let's say, t- uh, targeted site. I mean, there's, there's, if it's, well, it's trout fishing on a fly rod, but it's uh, rivers. Like I don't know Stillwater, so mm. I don't write about Stillwater. Mm-hmm. I do almost all the writing myself. There's some articles back there. Um, so there's some old articles where some of my best fishing buddies were also writing a few things. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, yeah, 2014 started, well, Trout Bitten started really with a group of about 10 of us, real good fishing friends, um, local and some guys out of the area, some guys from Eastern PA, some guys from Western PA. Um, 10 of us were in a, you know, like a, like a group email, really. Oh, yeah. And I said, that's not going to work. So, I mean, it was, there are a lot of great ideas there. And so it just bounced it over to a, created a a forum, a message board, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yep. And, uh, my buddy Sloop actually put the, uh, put the message board up there and called it trout bitten. (laughs) That term that, you know, that word comes from a Joe Humphreys book where he says that he was a trout bitten kid and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. So that forum, I mean, that's, it was a private forum, just invites mostly it was 10 guys yeah and you know i was always the one who would uh really expand on the stream reports you know i'd i'd make them into stories i've always written i've always written a lot my mom can show you things that i wrote when i was in like fifth grade and i thought was a big deal you know <laughs> for fifth grade maybe they weren't bad yeah but yeah i've always really enjoyed writing it's the creativity any chance to be creative even with a fly rod in my hand, but any chance to be creative, I, I love. I was a musician for 17 hmm. years. So, wow. so expanding on all those stories, 
and trying to always drag out of the rest of the guys on that forum the the tactics, the things that they were doing, because they're good fishermen. It was a good group of guys, um, talented guys, coming from different angles, ways of fishing. And so I'd always try to drag out of them on the forum, you know, hey, how are you fishing? Tell us more. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of sharing of ideas and a lot of dialing stuff in. Um, cool. That was also at the end of, it was right as my kids were starting to be born. I got two boys. Mm-hmm. And so basically 2000 three to 2009 i fished during the day five days a week year round and i played music at night (laughs) and then when my kids were born then i was daytime dad so a lot of that fishing time was taken away but i'd still take the boys down to the creek and stuff like that um so anyway that all you know those six years of just fishing 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 almost every day well five days a week yep you know, that's sort of correlated then with, you know, I had a lot of stories to tell, right? So I put sure. them on that forum and the guys were always, you know, real, they liked the stories and they always said, boy, you know, you should start a blog. You should start a blog. I had no desire to do that. Um, I was happy enough sharing it with 10 people, 10 <laughs> other guys. And then my buddy Pat was really the one who said, man, you got to do this. And I said, well, I'll do it if you do it with me. So Pat wrote with me for a year, um, for that first year. And then after that, it's funny. He it was in it was January after the blog had been up for about 12, 13, 14 months. And he texted me one day and he said, "I don't want to I don't want to write for Trout Pitten anymore." <laughs> and I, I was kind of disappointed, you know. And uh we were real good fishing buddies and this was this was cool to be writing these stories and tactics and stuff doing this venture together. It was pretty cool. And I said, you know, okay, okay you don't want to write anymore, but why, you know? And he goes, well, I just wrote an article. It's Saturday. I just wrote an article. It took me like five hours and I could have been out fishing. Yep. That's <laughs> and right. I said, I get it. I get it. And so, I mean, for me being a writer, and that's what I went to school for. I was an English major, philosophy minor. Um, being a writer, like I said, I love that creativity. Um, I honestly get just almost as much enjoyment or a different kind of satisfaction, enjoyment, almost as much out of writing as I, as I do fishing. Hmm. And I love it. That's cool. So yeah, so 2014, 15, 16, it was just writing articles. There was, you know, there was nothing. Then I got some offers to put some ads on the, um, on the site. Cause again, it's a very targeted market. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, if you want to reach fly fishers for trout in rivers, mostly wild trout, <laughs> yeah, right here. That's a good place to do uh, it. That's awesome. I, yeah, I, I had uh, you know another uh, big big person I had on, which was really amazing, was John Girock, and we I asked him in that conversation about writing, and I can't remember how it yeah. came, but it was basically, are you a writer or a fisherman first? And, and, and John said he was a he was a writer, and it disappointed people, you know, when he said that. But <laughs> for you, He's are fantastic. are you exactly yeah. are you a writer or are you a fisherman first? Fisherman. There but, you go. Well, boy, it's close. Yeah. Um, I do think, I, I do think the best, uh, my favorite writers, I guess, are the ones you can tell they're good fishermen, and yet they're also good writers. And there yeah. are, I mean, there are. You can also kind of tell when you're reading some things. Eh, this guy's a better writer than a fisherman. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know. What, what do you think? What do you think makes a a great writer? I mean, you think about Gear Rock. You think about you know some of these really amazing. I, I just interviewed actually the podcast that came out this week was um, uh, John Deach, who who is the river runs yeah. through it, right? Norman McLean, and he was the the stunt guy for Brad Pitt. Yeah. But but we talked yeah. a lot about Norman McLean. You know what I mean? Like because the sure. writings was amazing and. So, so what's your take? I mean, what does it, what's the difference between a great writer and just your so-so kind of nothing special? Um, well, yeah, you know, I think you got to write from experience. You can't be making, making too much stuff up. Yeah. Although my, my buddy Steve, when I, you know, when I, when Trout Pitten turned into a career around 2017, you know, and I, he, he said to me, don't you think you'll ever run out of material? <laughs> and I said, no, not really. Because, no. I mean, because I can always make stuff up too, Steve, you know? <laughs> And as far as like well, like the stories, that, that's true. I mean, I just finished a, a story, if you want to call it that, uh, about why we wade. I mean, just that's what it's, a, you know, it's just called We Wade. Yeah. And, you know, it'll publish in a couple of days. But, you know, that's the kind of thing I can write forever. And, you know, the tactics stuff, I get that. That'll probably dry up at some point. But, man, I think I could, I feel like I, 
I could write for 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Um, writing twice a week. You know, and the truth is, as I keep fishing, the ideas uh, about the tactics, those keep changing, you know, Um, which is why I also really love this format, because I'll go back and change things. Exactly. Um, When I update, I almost always uh, put some kind of notice there, like, hey, updated, you know, uh, May 2020 or whatever. But, you know, obviously you can't do that in a book. Once it's out there, it's down. That's it. And. I mean, uh, you know, I've talked to guys who have, you know, stuff published and that everybody reads and they go, man, you know, I kind of do stuff different now. Like their leader formula changes. Mm-hmm. The more you fish, man, I mean, the more you figure figure stuff out and your preferences change. But yeah, to just to, I'd say you really got to, that, that's where it starts. You got to write what you know. Yeah. And, and hopefully if you're writing fish and, you know, you have a lot of experience. Uh, like I said about those six years, I mean, I've fished a lot of a lot through the rest of my life too but that's the main difference really i'd say between me and the next guy mm-hmm. i don't believe anybody's really born with innate fishing talent i think that it's just that it's time on the water it's caring about what you're doing um trying to get better all the time being willing to explore and that kind of thing but it, it really comes back to that time and over those i mean think about it man like Six years, yeah, it's five a days time. a week. It's a long, you know? That's a lot of days. Yeah. And like I said, around here, you could fish year round. So I fished through August. I fished through January. And that, you know, I just explored these waters from bottom to top. That's cool. So that's cool. It's the time. And yeah. then the, yeah. That, that's it. Just like anything, you know, writing, you, you've got to, to be a good writer, you've got to write, right? You, you can't just, you know, write every once in a while. You got to write, you know, I, that's something I'm trying to, uh, I'm going to try to force myself this year is to, um, you know, just get more consistent and write every day, you know, even if it sucks, just write something, right? For sure. And that's what I did when I was a musician. I was a musician for 17 years, played like five gigs a week. And, um, yeah, yeah. I, I wrote and recorded a bunch of songs. And really, before my kids were born, too, I held myself to this. For about two years, I made sure I, I wrote a song a week. And, you know, I wrote a lot of bad songs during that during that time. But, I, you know, I wrote some really good ones, too. And like you say, if you just, you know, you make a promise to yourself and hopefully you can you can hold yourself to it. That's what it is. It's like time on the water for fishing, but it's time, you know, behind the keyboard or however you write. It's, uh, you know, I mean, I look, there's 600 articles now on Troutbin. And if I look back, yeah. like some of the, like most weekends, I do what I call a weekend remix well, where I'll pull something out from a couple years ago. Usually I update it, I'll rewrite some stuff, and then I'll repost it. But, you know, when I go back and I bring some of that stuff up from 2015 or 2016, I go, whew, you know, yeah. <laughs> I need to polish this up. That's good. I've gotten a lot better at it, you know. <laughs> that's good though. That's and that's funny from a from a Google perspective. Actually, updating your your content and your your articles, you know, they really like that. So I think you're yeah, helping your, you're helping yourself. Yeah, right on. That's true. And like you know, so you know that. I mean, you know SEO and oh yeah, that that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of. Well, I mean, I think it's funny because I have a give a little plug to my new uh, podcast show we have going. It's a online uh, marketing podcast focused on serving, you know, fly fishing and outdoor companies. And, and I've had a couple guests on there that Mm -hmm. actually one Evo who was on uh, the first episode, he said it was all about SEO, but what he said, bottom line was forget about SEO and techniques and tactics. He said, if you just write for a human, something helpful, then Google will take it and they'll love it. And I mean, (laughs) that's basically the bottom line of that, that hour long show. That's great. That's great. I tell you, when I, you know, when I started Troutbin, again, I had no, I had no plans of it becoming my career or anything. So, you know, I wasn't digging into like, again, like what Google cares about and things like that and how nope. to present things, you know, for SEO scores. And I still only follow that a bit, but but enough. Like now, I care about. It. I'll make sure there's a nice cover photo, you know, yeah. in the dimensions that Google wants and totally. that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, well, what you said there. Um, I think Google just, they, it, they just kind of found me mm-hmm. <laughs> because, or however it works with the crawlers and whatnot. Well, well you know what they, you know what they do, uh, Dominic is that, and it, it, and Evo got into this a little bit and I didn't even know this, right. But you know, obviously Google's a multi-billion, however much money they have, but they have the yeah. computer algorithms, which are working behind the scenes and stuff, but they also have thousands and thousands of normal, like human beings that are, that are 
following up and seeing if mm-hmm. their algor- algorithm's right, you know? So sure. that's why, why, that's why the spammy stuff maybe works for a little bit, but eventually right. it gets kicked out because eventually a human finds and they're like, no, this, this, uh, this is not good. And they boot it out. Yeah. Well, exactly. It, yeah. It's, it's for me, um, it's that promise that I made to myself, just like I said about just not just writing, but, um, especially like 2017 on, I, I promised myself I'd write, you know, post twice a week. Usually it's three times a week. If you, if you also consider that remix and then holding to that. Um, so it's the, hopefully the quality, I think the quality is there in the writing and then the, the, but the consistency and obviously Google likes that too, it just, but it's not what Google likes. It's the, it's what the readers like, obviously, but yeah, it's the consistency. It's easy to start a blog, right? But then, as you know, it's the same with the podcast and whatever else you do. It's easy to do those first couple podcasts, blog posts, whatever. But then, you know, a couple months later, well, again, like where you want to go fishing instead of writing. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's harder to stick with something, anything, really. But, you know, that's where, if you if you love it, then it's 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 not all that hard. So yeah, I wanted to jump into and, and dig into the streamer game a little bit. I, um, you know, I've had a number of uh, streamer guests on, and you know, Rich Strolls was probably the most recent one that I had on. Yeah. And f- from you, maybe you could just start with uh, you know Kelly Gop since he's one of the biggest names in streamers. You know, in, in yeah. the game, w- what did uh, what did Kelly Gallup get wrong about streamers? Oh. <laughs> Uh, not not to call not to call out Kelly or anything like that, but just kind of, no, kind of playing on words a little bit or whatever. Yeah. So nobody really gets anything wrong, but it, it probably works for him and doesn't work for me. Put it that way. Yeah. Is you know the real big stuff that the um, yeah. I just don't think you need streamers that big to even catch the biggest fish in a river. I mean, I and I I have friends that fish the same waters that he's fishing out there, and I mm-hmm. I understand it. Um, I've spoken with. Kelly a couple times, well, through email and stuff like that. He's always very generous about information, knowledge. Um, yeah, I I don't need the I don't need a fly bigger than like three inches. Hell, uh-huh. I probably don't even need that. Actually, if I wanted to go catch catch the biggest trout in the river, I'd probably focus on nymphing first, but with a big nymph. I love. Think oh, yeah. about this. I I like a I like a big nymph or a small streamer like that kind of size. Yeah, very targeted. I like a very targeted approach where as, oh, and I'll just say like that size is like inch to two inches, let's say. So like mm-hmm. a big stonefly for a nymph or I don't know, a, a smaller bugger or smaller a hundred other patterns, you yep. know, a hundred other patterns. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's the, that's probably the main thing is I like to be very targeted and like the big streamer thing. I love doing it. Yeah. Although I, I hardly ever go past like four, four and a half inches. What's funny is, seriously, right before uh, we got on this chat here, I actually emptied my streamer box. I only carry one streamer box, but it's there's a lot, there's way too many streamers in there. Yeah, and I, I emptied them all, and I do that I don't know at least once a year because uh-huh. I you know I add stuff or people give me stuff, but I tie too many of this or that, and then there's some experimental patterns. Then I'm digging around and I can't find what I was really looking for, and then that was happening this morning, so. I got home and I had a couple minutes and I just, I kind of just pulled everything out of the box and <laughs> laid it on a big slab of wood. <laughs> and I'm, I'll probably put about half of it away into a, into a secondary box, yeah. but I don't think pattern is nearly as important. Gallup talks a lot about color. You know, yep. he, I've watched his videos and uh, t- even talked with him mm-hmm. again, like through email. Um, and he, I know he, you know, he, he'll cycle right through those colors. For me, for me, it's a waste of time. If they're not taking olive, I'm in trouble. Olive, I'll go to white, sometimes to black. I mean, I got other colors in my box, but it's like any, it's like anything else. As soon as, <laughs> if I, once I start digging into those patterns, like if, once I start using yellow or something with pink in it and this and that, it's a bad day anyway. You know, yeah. they're not really eating streamers. Right. So that that's another thing. It's like, uh the idea of just going out there and trophy hunting and trying to fish for the biggest trout in the river, like maybe I just don't have that in me. I mean, I've done it. I seriously did the gallop thing like, uh, you know, to a T for 10 months, almost a full year, like no deviation, did the color pattern changes, did all the, 
you know, all the patterns. I fished a lot of zoo cougars and circus yeah. peanuts and, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. This this long time ago, you know, like a yeah. decade or more. Um, and I did it all. And I did it around here. Um, hmm. and, it, and, you know, it worked. But it, I wasn't catching anything more. Well, wasn't catching bigger trout than I had been with a targeted a more targeted nymphing approach or let's say a slower streamer approach mm-hmm. um not necessarily slower but a more targeted again streamer approach um yeah so does that kind of answer your question yeah. oh yeah yeah no it does yeah. i think that basically you're you know kelly's got a strategy that that works but there's a lot of different ways to to fish you know in, in your way i mean maybe you could just start off there with describing um you know, maybe you could describe first, since we're talking about a little bit about fly tying, maybe your yeah. uh, a favorite pattern of yours, one of your streamers that you, you, you know, do well on, and then talk about how you fish that in your local streams. Sure. So you, you said Rich Strollis was on, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe my, at least within my top three flies still is the headbangers sculpting. Yeah. Yeah. And that works really well for what I do. I'll tell you, I'll say that in a minute. But I, I tie it a little, anyway, I tie my headbangers a little bit smaller than what Rich does. Not by much. I, they're probably an inch shorter. Uh, they're three and a half, four inches. So I use, you know, bigger, or I mean a smaller front hook and smaller back hook. Um, I just tie them in olive. I know I could tie other col- colors, but if they don't take olive, I, I found that they're not going to take other colors. Yep. For me. For me. Um, great pattern. And Pat, my buddy Pat, again, who uh, was kind of started trout pitting with me way back mm-hmm. when um he's the one who really got onto that head banger and you know i was like ah it's probably not better than a woolly bugger but it is <laughs> it's a good pattern um yeah so pretty, i should mention that pretty much 80 percent, 90 percent of the time i fish a mono rig mm-hmm. with streamers i mean uh it's a tight line rig euro nymphing rig contact nymphing rig however you want to whatever you want to call it um, but I kind of set my mono rig up as a nymph rig, but then with the idea in mind that I'm going to be going over and fishing streamers with it too. So I, I like, uh, a butt section with some stiffness, even my, my cider section. I like to be a little bit stiffer than what you'd normally would have for nymphs and things like that. Um, and when, I, anyway, when I'm throwing those nymphs on a mono rig, Mm, the reason I do it is because I have a well, a very, uh, I have a really great control mm. over even even head position. I can ch- I can change the head position of those nymphs, or I'm sorry, of the streamer oh, wow. at any time. That's you really know? cool. Yeah, because you know you're tight to it, and by tight I mean there's not extra line on the water. No. How similar yeah. is this this mon- I mean to say the Euro nymphing rig? Real similar. Real similar. Now, to me, Euro nymphing briefly. Euro nymphing means you're fishing with nothing attached to the leader, besides the flies. So uh, you can't put split shot on there. Um, if you were nymphing, Euro nymphing, you're never gonna put a uh, put a put an indicator like a you know a suspension a suspender on there at all. You're not gonna put a thingamabob or a yarn indie, anything like that. And so I call it a mono rig because that's what Joe Humphreys called it. And um, yeah, I mean, there's like 80 articles on trout pit about the mono rig, yeah. and I don't want to go on and on about it. No. Uh, but, Is there a good one you would point somebody to if they wanted to just see the whole thing, what it's about? Yeah, yeah, sure. There's a, you can go up in the menu of trout pit and uh, go under articles, and then you'll see the mono rig right under there. And there's a whole page of like all the mono rig articles in in one place. And I grouped them like the let's say the five most important ones are the ones to get kind of get you started on okay. the idea it's but if, again it's very similar to what people people call a euro nymphing rig but a euro nymphing rig is very similar to what guys were calling high sticking yeah you know that's right you know there's but there are there are differences like you know i put split shot right on honestly so a lot of times i have a i'll have a, something even like that headbanger let's say i got a headbanger on the point Usually two X. I, I have a cider built in, so I got my butt section, a little transition or taper, then a cider, which let's just say it's twelve pound amnesia. That could be a lot of things, mm-hmm. and let's say it's a foot long. Then after that, I'll usually run two X, three, two X or three X, depending on the size of the streamers and how you know how I'm fishing them. But then let's say there's a headbanger at the point, uh, six six feet beyond the cider, 
And then I usually run a second streamer uh, 20 inches or probably two feet up. And that second streamer will, again, like be an, an Ed Shanks uh, white minnow, something I can see. Mm-hmm. Because I think that a lot of people really try too hard to see their streamer in the water. And then it ri- then you're making it ride too high. So that having that white si- that white uh, point of sight, that, that streamer, that small streamer up above, gives me more of an opportunity more often to see, to see something about what's going gotcha. on. It, it, you know, I could see the white one. And then I, I have a great idea of, let's say, where that headbanger is. But anyway, by fishing them on a monorig like that, I'm, I may very well put split shot on, you know, six inches up from the, the headbanger. Even though the headbanger's heavy, if I'm fishing big water, big heavy water, I still need to get down more. And I'm not fishing sinking lines because I I like that targeted, yep. focused approach. I, I find myself saying that a lot <laughs> right yeah. now. Yeah. Are but you targeting... Are you yeah. focusing and targeting when you get to the water? Are you looking and saying, there's a, that little two foot section I want to hit or, or even smaller? How, how are you finding the water, reading the water? Yeah, I think two feet, like a two feet, two foot radius, three foot radius. That's a, that's a pretty good marker. It, it really depends though, if I'm waiting or I'm in a boat. I mean, there's a big difference. I, I throw a lot of bigger streamers and do more gallop style of like fast uh, jerk strip and things like that. By the way, he probably hates being pigeonholed into like fast big streamers because you know he yeah. probably does a lot of different things. Oh yeah, but you know your whole gallop make the fish chase it down. Uh, uh, bigger streamer, faster, faster retrieves. Let's say that's what people think of. I'll do that from a boat a lot. It's fun because you if you're covering eight miles of water in a day, let's say eight miles or more, whatever you know. You you show that fly to a lot of fish. Those flies you show them to a lot of fish. So anyway, my maybe my radius grows. Maybe it's more. Maybe I'm trying to hit every four feet on the bank, in the best spots. You know, if the guy on the oars is good, he'll slow you down. You can get two or three targeted shots. Mm-hmm. Mm, but if I'm wading, which I usually am, our waters here we uh, uh, they're not big enough really to float. That's the only thing Central PA is really kind of missing is good floating water. But, you know, the rest of Pennsylvania has places you can go and float. But hmm. so mostly, mostly I'm waiting mm-hmm. around here. And, um, yeah, I, so yeah, back to like the two foot radius, even, yeah. you know, if there's a really great pocket, I'll, I'll approach it from behind and I'd get, you know, make sure I get cast up above it. And of course uh-huh. the bank, it's always structure. The banks are a great target, but then, you know, there's, there's plenty of in-stream structure, whether it be wood or big rocks and stuff like that. Um, I like to hold that streamer on structure as long as possible rather than what I see a lot of people do, throwing it at the structure and then strip, strip, strip it. Yeah. Usually those strips are taking it right away from the structure and I get it. It can look like an escaping bait fish and then the fish will hopefully chase it down. But back to sort of like my approach is to, is to give the fish more often, I like to give the fish something that's easier to eat um, so they don't have to chase it down so much. I like to show them an easily available food form. I talk about that a lot. Uh-huh. Um, so, it, you know, maybe it, hmm, maybe I try to make it look dead or dying more yep. often, the, the imitation. Um, and so it's available. So the trout goes, eh, yeah, I'll eat that. That's right. And instead of going, yeah, I'm going to chase that down, I'm going <laughs> to go grab it, you know. Exactly. Yeah, it seems like that strategy. I, I mean, you obviously both work, and you know, you can see the 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 fish from a fish's perspective. But the one of the day, the making it easy for them just to chomp on it seems yeah. like seems like if I was a fish, like if I had to choose between, uh, you know, because fish are lazy, right? I mean, would yeah. I rather chase something down and, and kill it, or would I rather just sit there and eat something that's kind of uh, that's kind of wounded and dying? Right on. Yeah, and and if you were a trout, you'd want to sit there and you know let the meal come to you more often you know like bass are much more aggressive obviously muskies muskie are real aggressive but we got to be careful i think that we don't take those kind of qualities over to trout because trout really want you to bring the meal to them more often hey can you talk uh gary uh in the facebook group uh, gary kaywell had a question about uh, getting flies to ride at the correct depth how do you how do you get them uh, can you, any tips there Right, so that's another reason why I love running a monorig. In the monorig, I have a cider, 
which is, you know, of course, color piece of colored line in the six feet up, let's say, from the point streamer. Um, you know, it could be eight or ten feet up. Ten's really pushing it. I don't want ten. I don't want to deal with ten feet of tippet. But let's say six feet up. So with that cider, I can then I can then read on that cider when that cider slows down. I let. Hmm, there's so many different qualities to yeah. it. But let's say if I I cast up and across toward the bank, and I let my streamer kind of sink for a second, but I get that contact and I can see that I can read that contact on the cider, and then I can see what speed the cider is going. And when I see that the cider is going slower than the top current, I know that something's making it slow down. And what's it connected to? The 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 headbanger sculpin, let's say down there, mm-hmm. and you know, that's the strike zone down there. Let's say it's six or eight or 10 or 12 inches deep, uh, on, from the bottom of the water, from the, from the riverbed. Um, and so I now, now I know that my streamer is in a strike zone. And the reason I know it is because that, that cider slowed down slower than the top current. These are all like nymphing principles, tight line nymphing principles, Euro nymphing principles, whatever that I've, that I like to take over to the streamer game. Mm-hmm. That's it. So you're kind of crossing over. I mean, really, mm. you know, somebody thinks about basic levels of streamers, you know, casting out and just stripping back or whatever. I mean, right. you're, you're kind of mixing things up and it's this nymph mix with streamers. Is that what you would say is the focus for what you do? Yeah. The first thing you said there was that I'm kind of crossing over. I actually call it a crossover a lot of times. So, yeah, I mean, I've written a couple articles about that. You can check it out. Um I call it a crossover technique. It's half nymphing and half streamer fishing. And that, that's why. Because like I said, I, I will cast up and over, Let's or just even almost straight up. Maybe I'll try to run the nymph through one current seam for a while, and then I'll start changing lanes, and I'll do a head flip, and I, you know, I'll slide it through the seams. And again, on that tight line rig, you can do so much with it. And I mean, I'll fish big flies on that rig. Um, and the thing is, Without like a uh, a sinking line, a sinking fly line, or a or even a floating fly, line, without the weight of that fly line, you can do all the stuff on a four weight. Um, I don't like to like try to do it on a two weight, like a lot of the let's say Euro nymphing specialty rods. Um, they aren't my favorite because they're not versatile enough. They're great enough for what uh, for what they're designed for, you know, Euro nymphing. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to take those rods, and I've tried. I'm not going to take an 11 foot two weight and throw, you know, a strollless headbanger on it. Not that it can't, but things are just flopping around too much right. for me, you know. And and uh, yeah, so I like a four weight, 10 foot usually. Uh-huh. And people are sometimes surprised, They're like, wow, like what are you doing throwing, you know, a, a five inch fly and then another one accompany it, um, you know, on a four weight. But once they try it, they go, oh yeah, well, because it's really the fly line that weighs so much, hmm. not our leaders, you know, and mm-hmm. it, that, that fly line weighs more than the, right. more than the headbanger does. If you're talking about 10 or 12 or 20 feet, I don't know, of a fly line. So, yeah. And it's not that I never fish fly line either. I mean, again, from the boat, I'll sometimes put a sinking line on and stuff like that. I like to do a lot of stuff, but that, that crossover idea is really, honestly, it's like the thing I, I'm working on the most these days. Like, I, you, know, I, you know, I feel like I could tightline nymph pretty well, and you know, I've I've done the gallop thing and I, a lot of other streamer ways. But when I go out, I wasn't doing it this morning, but a couple of days ago, when I go out and I have a few hours and the right water type and all that, and I'm in the right mood, I really work on that crossover technique. It's it's different. Yeah, it's fun. It's different. Well, and and on the um, again, maybe you can just take it. Somebody that doesn't know anything about mono rigs, uh, you know, they've just got a basic fly line. Can you just describe what again the mono rig are? And do you have a fly? Uh, what line do you have attached? And can you just go in the basics. Mm-hmm. How long your the leader is, and, and kind of just for somebody brand new. Sure thing. Let's say it's thirty five feet, thirty to thirty five feet. It doesn't have to be that long, but my idea is to keep the transition. Let's say the nail knot. Out of the guide, the loop to loop. Okay, I hate, so it's all mono. Anyway. So you got a thirty-five foot, say thirty-five foot, basically leader, and then yeah. you've, you've got a fly line down there, but it's just yep. it's weighed. And what line is it that's down there? The fly line, you mean? Yeah. Or does it matter? Nah, no. I keep a regular fly line. Let's say I got that four weight, and um, I'll keep a four weight, uh, you know, dry, you know, a regular fly line. Yeah, on just the, the weight, on d- the double tape or weight four. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. And so that I can uh, pull off the mono rig, roll it up, 
uh, put it in my vest, bring out usually a George Harvey dry fly leader and get back to dries. Or, oh, gotcha. Uh, you know, so that's, you yeah. know, I'll, a lot of people get in touch. Well, hey, you know, should I just spool the whole reel with mono? Yeah. No, don't do that. No, don't do <laughs> you that. Know? That makes sense. Uh, or some guys could just go straight to backing. Yeah. Um, nah, why, why limit yourself? It's it's the versatility that is so much fun about the fly rod. And anyway, so all right, so let's say it's twenty five to thirty five feet. And again, if you're just nymphing, you don't need that length. If you're if you don't want to, just put an eighteen foot leader. Hell, even like a fifteen foot leader. You, you know, and then you only you'd only have a little bit of fly line out of the guides if you were nymphing. But anyway, you asked me about the streamer rig. So the main reason the main reason that I like it, let's say thirty five feet in total is so that I don't have that nail knot in the guide very, very often. Like, again, targeted approach, uh, that, that kind of thing. I'm not usually fishing beyond 35 feet. So, you know, I can go to 40 feet and still have just a little bit of fly line uh, out off my reel. Anyway, so that is, that it's, all, it's all about the butt section. Yeah, there are three, three main things that make any tight line rig really work. The main thing, the main principle is taking fly line out of the game and replacing it with a butt section. In my case, my preferred butt section is uh, 20 pound Maxima Chameleon. There's plenty of other, yep. you know, good, good choices. Yeah. But I like, I like that. Like you can go thinner, but as soon as you go thinner, well, once you get below like 15 pound, let's say, you start to do more lobbing than casting. And the main thing that people are often surprised about with the mono rig. And again, like 90, 95% of my clients that come to me these days are all about, you know, learning mono rig stuff. Um, is, is the, the, the thing people are often surprised about is that it's casting more than lobbing. If you ask me the best way to learn to tight line, to throw these tight line rigs, whether it's streamers or nymphs, I, I always tell people learn to cast dries because mm -hmm. it's that 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, the hard, the 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 good acceleration between ten and two, and the nice crisp hard stops at ten and two, that for me makes my casting style anyway make, makes it work. And so that's again why I like a twenty pound butt section as opposed to a ten pound butt section. I got a ten pound butt section in my uh, in my vest right now because I like to change out to it and experiment and try stuff, but it doesn't perform that fly line style casting nearly as much as that twenty pound does. Now the twenty pound sags a little bit more, but not much. But let's say you got to realize it, it sags a whole lot less than a fly line does out of the guides. It it weighs a quarter. Twenty pound chameleon, ten feet of twenty pound chameleon weighs a quarter of what ten feet of a four weight uh, fly line hmm, does. There you go. So it sags a quarter of a, as as much, you know, and it's. Anyway, it's yeah. So that's it. And you're still, and you're actually you are casting the the mono, the the basically the leader. You're essentially casting a leader. Absolutely, and you, that, that that's what people are surprised by. That is because that's a question I can't remember who said it recently, but we were talking about casting and um, and we were actually talking about the mono. We got who? The, oh, I think it was Rich Strollis. Yeah, because he he sure. he's uh, he went on a rant. We were joking about it because I was like I was like Rich, you got to give me a rant. Somebody said you're awesome at rants and. But he talked about he, he talked about how um, you know he was like people come and they don't even want to learn to to cast or fly and I was like you know so what does make a fly fishing what what is it when you're fly fishing and I, and I said well you kind of have to be casting if you're not casting then I'm not sure it's fly fishing but that's mm. the thing so even though you don't use a fly line necessarily with this mono rig you're still casting yeah yeah it's not a chuck and duck rig I mean there's nothing wrong with that either but chuck and duck rigs are lobbing. And yeah, it's not lobbing, it's casting. Um, and the reason being because it's, it's, for me, it's that casting. That's where you get your accuracy. Um, that's, and not just fly placement, but the accuracy about now, where does the tippet go? Speaking of nymphing, especially right now, one of the most important things to realize is where the nymph goes in, that's great. Okay, you put it right where you want it. Where's the nymph going to go? And it's going to go where the tippet goes or where the, where the tippet goes next. It's attached to the tippet. It has to follow the tippet. So it's even more important where you put that tippet. If you're lobbing, you have much less control over where that tippet is going to be placed in your cast or, you know, during your cast. Um, when you're, let's say what I'm, I'm saying, casting, 10 and 2, all the, all the good fly line casting 
concepts, principles, you're still forming fly line style loops and you can get those loops to unfold. Nymph goes in all, you know, the tippet goes in in the exact same seam, hopefully as the nymph. And then everything is lined up. Mm -hmm. Uh, only, only what has to touch the water touches only what has to go underneath the water goes underneath everything up. Everything else stays up. Let's hope it's not windy, but, uh, that's, that's why I cast instead of law. Gotcha. Uh, You can stand in a parking lot often when I find somebody who's kind of skeptical of the whole thing, uh, you know, in a parking lot or wherever, um, let's say in a parking lot, I'll just strip a bunch of the mono rig off and, uh, there's no flies, no flies at all on and just start casting it. And you could see, I mean, again, with good fly line casting principles, you see in fly line loops in that 20 pound Maxima chameleon. Hmm. Now I'll point out, you're not going to do that with six pound, No, you know? Six pounds just going to collapse on itself, but go. the twenty pound and things close to that has enough mass that if your casting style is good, um, you can use that to your benefit. And yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. What? And so again, I'm thinking back. You got this rig set up. It's almost like you're basically nymph fishing, just with a streamer on the end. Is that pretty? Yeah. Could you simplify it and just say that? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty close. I, when I know I'm going to be streamer fishing for a while. I will put a little thicker cider on there, um, and I will go to 2x instead of uh, usually I'm nymphing with four and four or five x. Uh, a lot of that is, well, there's a couple reasons for that. I, I don't like throwing, you know, again a, a, a strollless headbanger on five x. Um, it's a little floppy, uh, and then of course when you get it in the trees, you're not getting things out much with five x. But if you put two x fluoro on there or one x fluoro, <laughs> you can pull out some pretty good. Yeah, you know you can bring some limbs to hand. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, again, if I know I'm going to be covering a lot of water with bigger flies, I'll simply use like a loon rigging foam. I have uh, in my vest right now. I mean, I got uh, I'll, I'll clip my cider off, that you know, thinner cider and 4x, 5x for my that I was just nymphing with. Roll that up on a loon rigging foam and then just strip right off uh, a little thicker cider and 2x with two streamers ready to go i can really make the change in like a minute yeah yeah exactly um i had another question here this is from john uh, zellant and uh, again in the facebook group he was wondering if you had any tips for fishing high uh and and muddy water with again let's just let's stay on <laughs> yeah. that let's stay on that streamer yeah. streamer uh, ga- or streamer game yeah uh well once it's muddy i don't have any good tips <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i'm serious i i kind of chuckle when guys you know start telling you well here's how you fish muddy water and muddy water is no different i just don't agree i mean i've heard people say well they can see it they can see it those trout can see it yeah, yeah. if visibility is six inches they could see it six inches in front of them and yeah okay you don't have to use a bigger fly you don't have to use maybe you don't have to change your technique but boy muddy just sucks i don't i hate you know well, well, let, let, let's take take the muddy out and just say fishing high. Let's just say we're just fishing high. Maybe it's not quite muddy, but it, it's getting there. Right, and that that I very much like. Um, yeah, it's it's so day to day streamer fishing, especially. I, I feel like you can't really force them to do what you want to do. You got to try to figure out what they want to do. Anyway, you got to realize that in higher water, the the flows, let's say, are pushing them more uh, around all of that structure. You still, you're all, I'm always targeting structure when I'm fishing streamers. Around all of that structure, they're going to hold even tighter to it because when they, when they move over uh, the, the same distance they, that they would in, let's say, shallow water, um, now, but now they're being pushed two or three times as much. You know, the water is swifter, so it's pushing on them, so they're less willing to move off of that structure. <laughs> so I'm going to say it again. I get real targeted. Um, so let's say the water is high enough that I'm not even comfortable waiting. And that's how that's been happening around yeah. here. You know, a good bit. We've had a pretty wet spring. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's a good spring. I I like uh, I don't know. Plenty I like water. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Fish like water and I like water. Yeah. So, you know, let's say I'm just walking the bank actually. You're just the 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 edge. I can't hardly get out in the river. Well, in instead of trying to okay, I'm just going to cover a bunch of water here and see what happens. I get again real targeted. I'll look from the bank. I'll go, "All right, there's a nice log jam, or, you know, and that goes right up against a, a rock. And now I can see this little back swirl or this back eddy. 
depending on how colored up the water mm-hmm. is, that's how much time that would correlate with how much time I'd spend there. I might spend a lot of time in in a real juicy spot like that. If there's a, not another spot like that around, you got to make yourself believe that the fish are there. They are seeing your flies and then maybe change some things up, you know, presentation wise, but stay close to the structure. Mm-hmm. If it's, if it's clear enough that you don't have to get to the bottom, then don't because there's probably rocks and stuff that's usually bank side. Now it's underwater, you know? So I often will use lighter flies. I, I use an unweighted fly that I call a rogue, which I use at night. Uh, and that's one of my favorite ways to fish. Well, the, the style that I was just talking about, kind of going from the bank being, you know, I'm not casting more than 10, 15, 20 feet away. 20 is probably pushing it even. I really choose my spots. I stay tight to that structure. Let's hope the water is skinny enough there that I, or, or, and clear enough that I, I'm not trying to get to the bottom. The fish will look up and see it. And maybe I'm, I'm you know, uh, only running six or eight or 10 inches deep. That's one way to do it. And then, you know, there's a hundred others. Yeah, yeah, totally. Hey, uh, Dominic, we're going to, I'm going to take us out of here. I got, had the quick little, uh, the 222 top, top flies, top tips, top resources. Um, yeah. and you've mentioned, I think you've kind of mentioned maybe your top flies is the, other than the headbanger, is there another one that you would recommend for staying uh, on the streamers? Yeah. I mean, I, I have something I call a full pint and then the half pint. Those, those are really, they've really become my favorite. I do like circus peanuts. I mentioned yeah. those earlier. Uh, I have I have a sculpin that I call a bunny bullet, which is a lot like an old school Chuck sculpin. Uh, yeah, yep. those do well for me. Uh, that just bugger variations too. Yeah, I try. There's a lot of things that I try. Well, there's a lot of streamers that I pl- when I plan on running them deep. That yeah, I, I make sure they're simple because I I don't want to be afraid to lose them. Yeah, totally, totally. But what about uh, top uh, tip? You've mentioned a few tips. Any other uh, tips you want to throw out there for somebody for talking fishing streamers and kind of the the technique we said today? Yeah, sure. Um, I think about head position of the streamer almost all the time. Yeah. Trout don't. I, I think trout don't really recognize or care at all about a head position of let's say a nymph, even a stonefly. They don't care. They're gonna eat a stonefly whether the stonefly's head is face downstream or upstream. They don't care. You know, it's because I'm sure stoneflies get tossed around and yeah, it doesn't matter on a nymph, but on a streamer, to me, head position is a big deal. I think trout recognize it. I think they see when that head position is either natural or unnatural. And I will say that if you stand there and swing flies, which is the first way I was taught to fish streamers, uh, get out in the water and cast down and across and then have them swing, you know, or even just cast across and then have them swing and down and across with the tension of the of the water, you know, keeping the head of the streamer then pointed upstream and toward you. And usually with that tension, um, the fly is even a heavier fly ends up riding like mid column. That, that to me really in truth, it's not a natural look because, you know, bait fish don't have the propul or, uh, streamers, the, the bait fish, they don't have the propulsion system really to hold that line. You know, it can very much be attractive. I get it. And in the right water over the right trout, you catch a lot of trout that way. Around here, the fish that I fish for anyway, and even across the state and whatever, the places I fish, I do a lot better when the head position, instead of faced upstream, is faced down or especially down and across. So let's say I'm standing in the middle of the river again. Water's not too high, but it's coming up. It's on the rise. We're supposed to get a good, a big shot of water here tonight, and I'm looking forward to going out tomorrow and doing exactly this. Get out in the middle middle of the stream, let's say mid-sized stream, and I'll uh, I will cast up and across, let's say to the bank. You know that's always a good structure, mm-hmm. and I will immediately try to get in touch with my fly and get the fly so that the head of the streamer is faced down and across. Let's just say 45 degrees, and then I often will try to hold that line and that angle as long as possible. Maybe give the fly a few jerks, jigs, strips. Mm-hmm you know, small movements as it holds that line, holds that structure, that bank as long as possible, also holding that, uh, that, that, that head angle. And I kind of think of it as a, what I call a slow slide coming off the bank. And then when I'm just kind of getting out of reach, I can't hold that angle anymore. Then I'll do more aggressive things with it, like strip, strip, strip. And then I just cast again. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's awesome. 
Um, and uh, yeah, maybe just a couple of uh, resources, anything that maybe isn't your own you'd recommend for anything we haven't talked about here for if people oh, yeah. want to go di- uh, a little deeper. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm a big George Daniel guy. Yeah. Love, love what George Daniel has put mm-hmm. out there through the years. Right now, he's got a good video series out there with some of the stuff he's doing for Penn State. He works for Penn State now. That's right. I learned a lot from George. Is he, he now the lead? Does he have that position with Penn State? Is he the... Yeah. Yeah. yeah same job. Right, right. The same thing that George Harvey and Joe Humphrey. Oh, did. cool, cool. Yeah, with Joe, as I remember, he he mentioned it. Uh, that's awesome to hear because I, I've been out of the loop, but I remember asking George about that when he was on whether he wanted that position, and that's good to hear he got it. Yeah. Now I don't think Joe Humphreys was making YouTube videos. <laughs> no, <laughs> right? no. But uh, no, but no. George is fantastic, and like I say, I learned a lot from him. Got to know him when he was the manager of the TCO shop, and we talked a lot. You know what? We talked a lot about night fishing. Yeah. At the time. Yeah, learned a lot from him. Devin Olson's stuff is fantastic. The, yeah, the, all all three videos with him and Lance, that's and right. Gilbert, uh, Raleigh. Yep. The, yep. Those are just artistic videos. Cool, you know. Uh, those are yeah, good stuff. There's a lot of great stuff there. And Devin's book, George's books, great stuff. There's there is a ton of good resources. That's awesome. Uh, hey, before I let you get out of here, the uh, the music. What what instrument did you play, or, or did you play an instrument? Yeah, sure. I'm looking at my guitar right now. Oh, guitar, in the yeah. Studio. But yeah, I, uh, my favorite is acoustic guitar. I played a lot of electric guitar because I was in a lot of bands. And I played saxophone. That was the first instrument I picked up when I was in fourth grade. That saxophone really is what probably helped me sort of break into this local music scene. is because uh-huh. everybody was happy to have a saxophone player sitting in, you know. And oh, yeah. I, I could always play by ear. I could read music too, but I could always play by ear. So it was easy to just jump into jump in blow some solos you and ak best right that's what he he talked about yeah that when i had him yeah on the sex the, that's cool i yeah. feel like i read that somewhere yeah, yeah 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 he he talked about that quite a bit that was a that was a really fun uh fun chat well hey would this be asking too much could you pick up that guitar and play a little lick to take us out of here <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna do it i'm gonna tell you why yeah uh first of all two reasons these are go- both good excuses yeah let's hear, first let's of all, hear. i'm all strung up with these with the wires here oh the, yeah yeah that's the right mic and that's the, right you know, all that saying sure. hey, and the the other thing is the guitar probably isn't in tune either. No, no. I have not played. I, I literally have not played since December. I oh, haven't wow. picked it up. Yeah. I kind of got burned out on it. Yeah. I played for 17 years and, you know, it became a career. Yeah. Um, I love it and I know I'm going to get back to it. My buddy Austin is always, you know, sending me a video of, hey, look at this finger picking tactic, technique that I, that I figured out. And I'm like, nice video. He's like, when are you going to start playing again? I will. I I just watched the uh, I've almost finished with the country music uh, Ken Burns uh, yeah I don't know if you've seen that but um, no but Ken Burns is great yeah. yeah I mean it's great it's really awesome I'm not like a huge oh I do love country more old country Merle Haggard yeah. Johnny Cash stuff like that but um, you know it's just amazing right the the just the whole guitar I mean not only the guitar but the mandolin and the uh, the you know all the instruments right and you just see the influence that country had people don't realize the influence on music and, and you know it's not just the the pop country you, th- you hear today but it's pretty powerful stuff so no i won't i that's good uh thanks for letting me know i i think uh, is there anything we could find do you have anything recorded out there online anywhere where we can listen to something yeah i do but i actually took the website down oh you did okay okay well i'll, I'll let, I'll let you off, i'll let you off the hook here um so yeah i guess uh in the uh next uh few months anything else uh, we can look out for you or uh, you want to kind of uh give a shout out here yeah i mean there's you know drop it is really like i said it became my career back in 2017 i played the last gig i you know so i got out of music and i played my last gig back in december and that's like i say i haven't picked up a guitar since so, right, Dominic, uh, troutbitten.com is the best place to go to find uh, more information. And uh, any uh, anything else should, before we let you get out of here, you want to you wanna give a shout-out here? No, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Dave. And, uh, yeah, there's there's 600 articles on trout bitten. You'll find something that you like if you're a trout fisherman with a fly rod. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 140. A quick reminder about the new podcast, Outdoors Online, the marketing podcast that can help you grow your brand online. I'm interviewing some of the biggest internet marketers on the planet to share what's working now in social media and internet marketing. Head over to Outdoors, that's outdoors with an S, online.co 
and have a listen or you can just take a look in the show notes we'll have a link out there uh, it'd be great if you could share that if you haven't listened to it um, take a quick listen and, and if you can share it with somebody you think uh, it might help thanks again for stopping by today to check out the show i'm definitely looking forward to catching up you soon hope maybe see you on the river or online thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show for notes and links from this episode visit wetflyswing.com And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.